You may have seen the posters on campus or the ads on social media. At McEwen University, we're building a culture of consent. Our goal is to end sexual violence on campus. Sexual violence has no place here. Sexual violence has no place here. Sexual violence has no place here. Sexual violence. In this episode, we meet a new face on campus who will play a key role in helping to realize this goal. So my name is Roxanne Runyon, and I'm the Sexual Violence Prevention and Education Coordinator here at McEwen. Welcome to Clock Radio. I'm Stephanie Sparks. Roxanne Runyon recently completed her master's degree in gender studies at Queen's University. She is an activist, educator, and expert. We asked Roxanne about her newly created role at McEwen. We wanted to learn more about a topic that can be hard to talk about, but is vitally important to understand. I am basically here to coordinate um, and support educational and prevention programming around sexual violence. And a lot of, this is a new position, but this work has been happening. Um, A lot of people have been working hard for a long time. Talking about consent can be difficult, awkward, and emotional. Even Roxanne struggles to find the right wording sometimes. But that doesn't mean that the concept of consent is difficult to understand. Consent is actually pretty straightforward. So consent is a voluntary agreement to engage in sexual activity. So in other words, it's a willing and enthusiastic yes. Um, the, The key to this definition is the word voluntary. Because if someone is in a situation where they end up saying yes or giving into sexual um, activity, when they they maybe don't actually want it, um, but because someone has pressured them or coerced them into it, that isn't consent. When we talk about building a culture of consent at McEwen, we mean that our community is educated about consent and understands what constitutes sexual violence. But it also means that we act as role models within our community for our friends, in our relationships, for other universities, and for the rest of the city of Edmonton. It means that we support victims of sexual assault. That's the culture that we're building on campus. If you don't know about consent, it's time to learn, because consent isn't just a nice to have. In Canada, it's the law. We are pretty lucky in Canada that we have really amazing consent laws. Our consent laws are referred to as affirmative consent laws. So I think a lot of people are familiar with the idea of no means no. We hear this a lot, it's really old, and that's certainly true. But what's actually more accurate is to say that only yes means yes. And anything that's not a yes is a no. Consent is a key aspect of McEwen's sexual violence policy, which was adopted in September 2015. The policy explains the rules around sexual violence and also outlines the rights and responsibilities of all students, faculty, and staff, as well as the consequences to those who commit acts of sexual violence. Roxanne broke down the three components for consent for us. For consent to be present, it must be one, enthusiastic, two, ongoing, and three, sober. So when someone is enthusiastically consenting, this means that they are, again, freely, without coercion, choosing to participate and indicating that they want to participate in sexual activity. For consent to be present, you need to look for more than the absence of someone saying the word no. It's important to remember that when you initiate a new sexual act, it's not your partner's job to say no well enough that you understand. It's your responsibility to ensure that everyone is consenting. I think we we all know, for for those of us who who do engage in, in sex, when someone wants to be with us and is engaged in sex, like what that looks like. Um, and also what that doesn't look like. So if someone, obviously if someone says, no, stop, I don't want this, consent isn't there. Also if someone says, mm, it's getting late, um, I need to go, I'm not feeling well, this, is, this isn't a yes. It's, and it's not a no, but it's not a yes, therefore not consent. 
Another way that people show that they are not consenting is through their body language. So if I was trying to start something sexual with, with my partner and they are maybe turning away or trying to keep their clothes on or maybe even getting up and trying to leave the room, it's pretty clear that they're not wanting what's happening, right? And not wanting to participate in that. So again, non-consent. Um, it could also be that someone is just frozen and disengaged and not actively participating in sexual activity. This is also a moment where consent isn't happening. And again, it's the, the responsibility of the person who's seeking that sexual activity to make sure that their partner or partners are um, actively reciprocating this sexual activity and participating in what's going on. And if that's not clear, checking in and communicating and respecting that person's wishes if that person doesn't want to continue. Whenever a new sexual act begins, it is the responsibility of whoever initiates that act to ensure that consent is present. The onus is on the person seeking sexual activity to check in and ask for consent, right? And it's as, literally as easy as like, are you into this? How are you feeling about this? What would you like me to do? That kind of verbal checking in is actually the legal standard um, for, for seeking consent. This might seem like a lot to think about, especially with a new partner. If you take away only one thing, let it be this. If you're not absolutely 100% sure, stop and ask. If you're still not sure, stop for good. This kind of communication and attention to what is being communicated back to you is vital for consent to be present. But it might not look like how you've seen romance portrayed on television. We live in a culture in which representations of sex are often really, really toxic. They're at worst incredibly violent and at best consensual, but there's no kind of talking going on. Like we see these movie scenes where people are just totally into it, but there's been no communication before or during and things just happen and they're like magically just kind of, you know what I, you know what I mean? Just kind of magically out of thin air, this incredibly romantic, pleasurable sexual scenario happens. And the reality of this just isn't the case. For consent to be present, all parties involved must be sober enough to give their consent. One of the things that consent law in Canada says is that consent isn't valid if a person isn't able to give their consent if they're incapacitated. So this could be if they are passed out or unconscious, um, and also if they are too intoxicated to give consent. So if they're drunk or they're high. Basically, when alcohol is involved in a sexual assault, there's kind of two things we'll see. And one of them is just totally being disengaged or turning away or, or verbalizing that they don't want that experience to happen in one way or another. So perhaps this looks like being almost passing out and kind of coming in and out of consciousness or getting sick or stumbling or just being clearly intoxicated to the point where they're not kind of with reality. So in this case, a person can't give their consent. And the onus is, again, on the person who's, who's seeking this. So if I'm in a sexual situation and there's someone I'm interested in, but I'm not really sure if, if they're sober enough, like if I'm seeing like, oh, okay, this person just like kind of tripped down the stairs or, oh, like this person is acting really out of character and like they've been drinking all night, then that's my responsibility to make sure I wait until I'm 100% sure that they are capable of giving consent. Um, rather, rather than risking going ahead and trying to initiate something and having that be, be not something that they wanted and that they were not able to consent to. We talked to Roxanne about some of the myths around consent and sexual violence that she hears frequently. Oh gosh, there are so many. One thing that drives me just batty is this idea that people falsely report 
being sexually assaulted or that people would just kind of make up a sexual assault experience in order to get attention or to get back at someone. This is this just really isn't the reality. This isn't something that happens. And it's so, so important when people talk about an experience of being sexually assaulted to, to believe them and to support them. Myths about false reporting are harmful and frankly false. However, Roxanne is hopeful that they can be overcome. A key component in building a culture of consent is rebuilding your framework of knowledge, sometimes from the ground up. People have the capacity to unlearn the toxic messages. We've um, come to really kind of have ingrained in us messages about, about gender, um, messages about, about sex and sexuality. We can unlearn these and learn new ways of being in relationship with each other in, like the, in the broadest sense of what being in relationship means. Another myth? that sexual violence often happens because of a small miscommunication between partners. And we often hear from survivors, um, from people who've experienced a sexual assault, is that like they, it's like a, that they felt they could have maybe more clearly indicated no, that they felt like they could have maybe like said no or fought back, or, or that basically the person who sexually assaulted them just didn't know. But the important thing to know is that perpetrators see those signs of non-consent and they continue anyways. Perpetrators don't actually care about consent. When incidents of sexual violence do happen, it's important for survivors to know that their personal experiences don't need to be hidden. Too often, sexual violence is an isolating experience. I think part of that is that it's not really talked about, right? It's kind of an experience that there's a lot of like shame and secrecy around. It's a really kind of stigmatized thing sometimes to experience sexual violence. And so I think when people are struggling with that experience and it's aftermath, they're not they're not alone in that. So I think to kind of move from this place of personal suffering or struggle and then begin to find other people who are affected by it and then begin to work for change. So using your voice to reach out to others, to advocate for this kind of systemic structural change that needs to happen to end violence. I think there's there's so much power in that. Victims of sexual violence have the choice of whether or not to report an incident. And they have the option to report at any point. McEwen's sexual violence policy outlines exactly how to get help, as well as how to support a friend. You can read more about our sexual violence policy on our website at mcewen.ca slash no place here. It's so inspiring to see how people take a really awful experience and refuse to remain silent about it and reach out and create connections and start really cool initiatives that are creating change. Creating an environment where our students feel safe and comfortable sharing their experiences and accessing supports is equally important to the university's general counsel, Michelle Pluth. A leader on campus and a driving force behind our sexual violence prevention efforts, Michelle talked about the importance of this project at our university and the important role our university plays. Creating that environment and that culture where if a student is having an issue, whether it be, you know, a, a complaint uh, or disclosure, sexual violence, then making sure that we know how to respond. I would say what sets us apart is the fact that we are, I think, a leader in Canada in, in what we're doing and how we're approaching the issue of sexual violence. So uh, many institutions come to us and say, what are you doing here? And, you know, we, you know, we lead the discussions uh, at, you know, the student affairs table. Uh, we led the conference about about the issue. We're working with our community in several in, in several ways. So I would say that has been the most amazing part of of the program is everyone's gotten involved and we've touched 
every aspect of our community. University is about more than just what happens in the classroom. It's a time to grow and develop yourself as a person and as a citizen. We all have a responsibility, not just personally, but legally, to practice consent in our relationships. It's just a moment of, of learning and learning how to be a human in some ways, like not just what you're learning in your courses and from your curriculum, but learning how to like be a person in the world and what your rights are and what your responsibilities are and how to be with other people in ways that are respectful. Um, and also how to like understand yourself, like coming into young adulthood, whether that's understanding that, oh, like I've been raised to believe these really harmful things about women or, oh, like I was raised to believe that um, these experiences I had that were actually really violent, like weren't a big deal. And it's kind of this moment where you ha are given new frameworks to understand your experiences. So I think that um, really taking advantage of this time and of having people who are so so engaged and so open to learning, I think it's really important to, to, to do the work of, of sexual violence prevention and education. As Roxanne settles into her new role at McEwen, we asked her what we can expect moving forward. My dream is to have a peer education team um, who basically have the, the skills to facilitate a variety of programming around um, busting rape myths or how to support a survivor or um, bystander intervention, these, these kinds of really important programming. Um, so that's, that's my dream is to create this team, but there's also a speaker series in the works for next semester focused on sexual violence, but also social justice more broadly, kind of taking an intersectional approach. So intersectional referring to the idea that we need to think about um, not only gender or sexuality, but also race and class and ability and all these kind of different systems um, and experiences that, that are always working together. Roxanne also hopes to increase the scope of the conversation about consent. So I think that a consent culture needs to look beyond just consent between two or more individuals in that moment of a sexual encounter to think about systems of, of power and oppression that take away people's choices in life. Consent culture requires that we broaden, broaden our scope and think about power and think about like what puts people in particular positions in, in life where their gender or their race or their class status means that they're more likely to be affected by sexual violence. Clock Radio is a production of McEwen University. Alumnus Doug Hoyer wrote the theme music. Parts of the episode were recorded at the Edmonton Public Library Makerspace. The episode was produced by Tyler Butler. The conversation around consent is about changing our culture. So is a new initiative around LGBTQ issues on campus. In this month's long-form story, we take a look at that new initiative and explore why it's so important to create safe spaces for gender and sexual minorities on campus. Read the story at mcewen.ca. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or tell a friend about this podcast. We'll be back next month with a new episode.